0: Welcome to The Discussion, Preparing for the Future of Contracting, sponsored by NCMA. Here's today's moderator, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining
1: us. My guest today is Craig Conrad, Chief Executive Officer at the National Contract Management Association. When the National Organization for Contract Management says that drastic change is coming to the profession within five years, that the risk-averse culture has got to go, and that innovation, speed, and agility are the goals, we had better sit up and pay attention. The National Contract Management Association said all that and much more in a recent white paper titled Preparing for the Future of Contracting. And NCMA CEO Craig Conrad is here with me to give us the details on this bold and daring new future vision. Welcome, Craig.
2: Well, thanks, John. And and yes, our white paper is a strong statement uh, and even to some startling, especially considering it came out of interviews with government contracting and procurement leaders. Uh, They were alarmed about the future, and while at the same time determined to meet it head-on, we found a pretty good finding out of all of us is that they are already preparing. Uh, Before I give you their key findings and takeaways, uh, let me take a minute to tell you about NCMA and what we do. We are a nonprofit organization of approximately 20,000 acquisition, procurement, and contract management professionals. Uh, We cover both government and the commercial sector. Uh, We are the only ANSI-approved certifying body for contract management professionals and we serve and inform our profession and other acquisition communities with education standards and really opportunities to have an open exchange of ideas. Uh, Every year we hold a couple national events. This year, given the COVID uh, crisis, we turned our first one into a complete virtual event that had roughly a thousand folks come together on subcontract management. Uh, We also have a full uh, catalog of online courses and webinars. Uh, We are the standard setter, as I said, for contract management. So we have the contract management standard. uh, That is the base of the contract management body of knowledge. Uh, One needs to really master that to obtain our leading certifications. Uh, So we are the key organization for professionals in contract management. We strive to be their voice and support uh, and ultimately advocate on their behalf. That's why we embarked last year on this study, uh, to certainly get their pulse, but also understand what the future is going to look like for them, or as they perceive it in the volatile times ahead. Uh, We asked them how the profession will evolve in terms of technology, the workforce, the skills contract managers need, and essentially how the contract manager will deliver value in a very unfamiliar environment.
1: Craig, are there three certification levels with your organization? I think there aren't there.
2: Uh, we do. We have the uh, certified professional contract manager, which is the CPCM, the certified federal contract manager, the CFCM, uh, and our last one, the certified commercial contract manager, which is also known as the CCCM.
1: Well, you must have some power to get thousand people together. Everyone's sitting in their homes. That's a, that's, you should brag about that,
2: shouldn't you? <laughs> uh, we were pleased. We were definitely Great. pleased. You
1: know, Craig, um, I've spoken to you in the past, and I've heard you use words like startling and bold and volatile and alarmed. I mean, alarmed? That's usually not the vocabulary we associate with contracting.
2: I mean, what's going on here? What's changed? And the word, John, it's urgency. Uh, It's the urgency to handle the speed of technology changes, the rise of near-peer adversaries such as China and Russia, the expectations of a tech-savvy population, and the rapid emergence of wickedly complex, and worldwide crises such as the ones we're going through now. Uh, Because a contract management profession is responsible for equipping our military and acquiring government's technology, ultimately supplying our first responders to serve in natural and man-made disasters, and much, much more, uh, that we must evolve as the world evolves. That's what makes this so critical and bold. And as the world is throwing complicated problems at us faster and more frequently than ever, Uh, So our senior procurement leaders uh, uh, increase their concern. They want the profession to become solution drivers, not just buyers and rule enforcers. They want contracting professionals to grow and change their capabilities more quickly, both to adapt and acquire technology, uh, but also they expect those teams to become more strategic and less tactical in their approach. One thing that stood out strongly in retrospect is that the future skills identified by these leaders are in fact the very skills that are required to lead in crises such as COVID-19. Uh, those things are mission focus, creative problem-solving, leadership at all levels, innovation, business acumen, data analysis, and you know, there's so many more, market supplier and, and, and supply chain intelligence, finally, I think is something that one would argue is, is really valuable in times of crises.
1: You know, use the phrase near peer adversary, that's normally used over at the DOD, especially in the Air Force over there. And you're talking about strategy and tactics. You're approaching this almost like the coming battle, aren't you?
2: Well, indeed, and I would argue that it's not just the DOD that has to be concerned about adversaries. When you look across the, not just the intelligence community either, when you look across uh, our civilian agencies, uh, they are getting poked at and attacked all the time as well. Uh, this is not just an attack on our DoD infrastructure. It's an attack on us as Americans.
1: You know, some people say that from January to March, internet traffic has gone up by 25%. What they're not telling you is that the number of attacks have gone up by 25% as well. So this is a difficult situation to be worried about contracting and being vulnerable, and not vulnerable. So you really have to be more strategic than ever in the past. Indeed. My guest today is Craig Conrad. Chief Executive Officer at the National Contract Management Association. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Preparing for the Future of Contracting, sponsored by NCMA on Federal News Network.
0: Why join NCMA? Being a member of NCMA isn't just about getting a job or certification. It's about connecting to create what's next. Become a member today and build your knowledge. Gain access to expert insight and collaborate with peers. Contract management doesn't stand still. It's time you invested in your future and become a member of the National Contract Management Association. For more information, visit ncmahq.org. That's ncmahq.org.
1: Welcome back to the discussion, Preparing for the Future of Contracting, sponsored by NCMA on Federal News Network. My guest today is Craig Conrad, Chief Executive Officer at the National Contract Management Association. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. We sat down recently with Craig Conrad, CEO of the National Contract Management Association, to hear about the contracting profession rattling changes ahead in the next five years. The NCMA white paper, Preparing for the Future of Contracting, has some direct and stark predictions about the effect of technology on contracting. The business of contracting is changing. Technology is becoming a member of the contracting workforce, taking over process-oriented, repetitive, and lower value tasks from human staff. Robotic process Automation or RPA is one example of artificial intelligence being applied to contracting. Everywhere from contract closeouts at H.S. to finding unpaid invoices at GSA to background reviews of contractor performance at IRS. Craig, what are leaders doing to bring on technology to change the way contracting is done and the way their workforces operate?
2: Uh, Well, John, one thing they stress was to avoid automating inefficient processes. Instead, they told us we should make processes more efficient as they are, and only then exploring automating those rules-based parts. Uh, a good example came from Melissa Storinski, who, by the way, is NCMA president as of July 2020, and, and one would argue that uh, she is someone incredibly focused on supporting our workforce. She has a four-part test for potential robotic process automation, or RPA, as you've said. Uh, Those projects should always include, one, do we understand and agree on the root cause of the problem we are solving? Uh, Number two, does the estimated volume of transactions benefit from automation to justify that effort? Uh, If you can't justify that effort, don't do it. Uh, Number three, how much variance is there in the target process? And number four, what is the expected ROI for inserting technology? This kind of problem statement approach is beginning to pervade the way contracting leaders approach technology and the way they want the workforce to approach contract requirements. Getting all the stakeholders in the room to identify the real problem they're really expecting to solve with that contract, really testing the problem statements against the on the ground needs of the users, both in the office and in the field, and then really refining that problem statement based on that input. It's an iterative process for sure that results in far more appropriate and useful technology. And one would argue ultimately in the long run, those contract requirements are gonna be sharper. Uh, It also makes programs and contract managers smarter and better informed while inviting creativity and critical thinking into the process.
1: You know, Craig, this problem statement approach and iteration sure sounds like the way software development is done today. You know, in, in 10 years, the whole idea of issuing requirements and pouring them in concrete and not changing has changed. And this has got to be applied to the world of contract management as well. It's a, it's a very agile and flexible environment we're at today, aren't we?
2: Exactly. And you, you mentioned agility. It, not every contract manager is going to be involved in a major system that, need, that you really need a long-term view. Uh, most everything else is, is like software development. Uh, You need to get going. You need to start. You need to test and see what the market and the consumer, and in this case, the consumer is a user of federal government and and users of federal government services, uh, to, to test it, try it, and iterate into something that's better.
1: Agile software developers always talk about data. Data this and data management and data analytics. How about the role of data? in changing the contract management world. Your survey on Earthly particularly focused on analytics and changing contract professionals works. It's really pushing them towards managing that data, isn't it?
2: That's right, John, and our interviewees have blueprints already for some powerful data structures. One case that offers promise is the application of data analytics to supercharge the relatively state approach to market research as it's done today. The new data-enabled market awareness will reveal deeper producer and market insights into pricing, the capabilities, performance, availability, quality, much, much more. Uh, In today's environment with COVID-19, it has showed us just how important that data is. Uh, So with more powerful spending data, government will be able to truly buy as one, leveraging cross-agency demand to reduce duplicative buying, uh, really end this price-paid variance uh, conversation, alleviating that workload required to support multiple contracts for similar goods and services. A good example, HHS Accelerate, uh, is successful at combining machine learning, natural language processing and blockchain, uh, and ultimately laying over the top of that the data analytics required uh, to its contracting function. Its information structure for ingesting and sharing data enabled HHS to analyze 10 years worth of spending That's huge, Uh, that's a lot of man hours and that brought in terms and conditions and prices paid. Uh, This visibility into demand and price variation in contracts across the department for one common purchase area, helped HHS negotiate a single new deal that they signed in February of this year, 2020, that will save $30 million over five years. That's more than a 50% discount off the current rate some really amazing things for American taxpayers.
1: Given this COVID-19 crisis we're into right now, it seems like this HHS Accelerate is, is the right program at the right time. I mean, this is the time where everyone's talking about accelerating response, and all of a sudden the ground is laid for them to respond quickly now, isn't it?
2: Indeed, and and the good thing is that they started early. HHS really got out there, and because this is in place who knows what the outcomes are going to be as, as a result of applying this during COVID-19. However, I, I would suggest that in the longer run, other agencies should be really getting out in front of programs like this, because we don't know when the next crisis might show up.
1: So what you're saying is that uh, contracting leaders are focused both on applying technology to the workload and finding new ways to buy it for their program customers, is that right?
2: Indeed, John, and the need to contract innovatively for emerging technologies never has been greater. We've entered perhaps the most exciting era of contracting transformation in the history of the federal government. Just look around, every agency is, is taking on new and interesting things. Uh, so there is so much change in experimentation in the works that it's become rather dizzying for contracting professionals. Uh, this pace is particularly pronounced in the defense department. Certainly, as I mentioned earlier, Uh, The civilian agencies are rapidly catching up and and have some of the same challenges, Uh, but ultimately that urgency to buy leading-edge technology is driving leaders to encourage and protect risk takers who want to test just how far they can stretch within existing rules and use some of the experimental authorities at their reach. Uh, So really, I, I think ultimately we have come to agree that government's traditional sort of slow to contract regulation, heavy compliance environment, has put off some of these emerging technologies and those innovative companies. Senior leaders described in our research innovations and initiatives to streamline and strip their standard operating procedures. The goal is to really get rid of anything redundant. There are many things in there that are uh, already mandated by the FAR, so why duplicate them? And we suggest that there were far more ways to do something beyond what the FAR says. Uh, Certainly to do so with the lightest touch possible within the rule, uh, but we're not always necessarily confined and restricted by the FAR saying no. Um, Agencies are testing also a raft of new methods for uh, attracting those innovators uh, for really to get novel solutions and solve some of the traditional government challenges. Uh, As a result, there are hundreds of new innovation hubs connecting startups and programs government-wide. Uh, the military, as I mentioned earlier, they're certainly out in front. Uh, they're creating really good spaces out, uh, outside of installations, really really close to the warfighter that are attracting new players. Uh, softwares and AFWorks, groups like that, uh, they're also using some non-FAR buying techniques. Uh, we talk certainly uh, about needing to comply with FAR, and there are many, many vehicles that are out there. Uh, But there's new ones that have, I won't say new, the new applications and most recently coming to forefront, uh, the OTs or other transaction authorities. Those are mentioned quite a lot in our survey. Um, Defense departments and defense programs are engaging that that OTA consortia to find innovators and run prototype competitions. Uh, That's certainly another way to get that startup and the accelerator involved. It brings in small business innovation and certainly attracts those research contracts to award directly in things like pitch days. Uh, And we've all seen other great things like that coming out of Major General Holt uh, at the US Air Force uh, and his powerful team. Uh, So really, increasingly, senior leaders are providing top cover for their teams to innovate without fear of repercussions. As one of the interviewees said, I'm well aware of the fact that giving my team top cover could mean I get fired. And I'm okay with that because quite frankly, quite frankly, the only way we're going to move ahead is if people are willing to stick their necks out and create the environment uh, that, that works. Uh, so really there's a lot of leaders out there that are saying that we, we have to give top cover. We have to let people experiment. It's the only way we're gonna do the best things uh, on behalf of the taxpayer. Another one of our interviewees went further and they said the benefit the benefit of innovation is far outweighed by the risks of any protest they might lose. You think about that, right? The, the, the chances of going to court and, and being dragged out uh, in, the, in the public sector, in the public mind um, is risky, but the benefits that we're going to gain as a nation are, are, are far greater. Uh, finally, I would say that another has said that she tells her team, if it's not illegal, try it. Uh, mm-hmm, we'll fruit. talk more about this later on in, in the workforce uh, in this program. Uh, and and what the changes that are there that they're faced with. Great, great, great. My guest today is Craig
1: Conrad, Chief Executive Officer at the National Contract Management Association. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion preparing for the future of contracting, sponsored by NCMA on Federal News Network.
0: Why join NCMA? Being a member of NCMA isn't just about getting a job or certification. It's about connecting to create what's next. Become a member today and build your knowledge gain access to expert insight, and collaborate with peers. Contract management doesn't stand still. It's time you invested in your future and become a member of the National Contract Management Association. For more information, visit ncmahq.org. That's ncmahq.org.
1: Welcome back to the discussion, Preparing for the Future of Contracting, sponsored by NCMA on Federal News Network. My guest today is Greg Conrad, Chief Executive Officer at the National Contract Management Association. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. The National Contract Management Association white paper, Preparing for the Future of Contracting, draws on interviews with senior professional government contracting leaders to paint a challenging picture of the near future for contracting professionals. Technology will take over more and more of the mundane tasks. They will be expected to take more risks as well. Increasingly, their role will move away from enforcing acquisition regulations towards consulting with shareholders and crafting proposed solutions to their customers' problems. They will need to develop and hone data analytics skills dive much more deeply into the workings of the markets and suppliers they buy from, and learn a whole new set of contracting methods outside of the federal acquisition regulation. Craig, CEO of the Association, is here with me sharing what the new paper says is in store for contracting pros. Craig, paint a picture for me, if you will, of how the contracting workforce can expect their work lives will change over the next five years or so.
2: Well, John, thank you again for, for having me. I mean, one of the things that interviews with senior procurement leaders showed was that they are unanimous in the belief that the workforce will have to acquire new skills. Uh, leaders expect their staff to shift, as you said earlier on, that ratio from purely technical uh, and processes, process-oriented, uh, low value-added things to really those soft skills that include critical thinking, decision-making, problem-solving, communication, and collaboration. Those are higher value adds to to serving the mission. Uh, As one interviewee told us, the skill ratio used to be 80 to 90% technical and 10 to 20% of those soft skills. But going forward, that shift is certainly going to be 50-50 to advance one's career. Uh, Those senior procurement executives said that contracting professionals performing mostly technical work will need to skill up in soft skills and business acumen, or eventually they risk being placed by those RPAs. Uh, those already in more strategic roles will need to innovate and may, to do, may need to do some reskilling uh, to be able to do that. We expect these adjustments will particularly challenge those who are really in the second half of their careers.
1: You know, you also mentioned greater reliance on data going forward. Will all contracting professionals have to become data scientists now?
2: Well, John, maybe not. Maybe not complete <laughs> Let's data hope science. not. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. But uh, surely they will need to become more adept with techniques of data analysis to apply to that spending data, the pricing trends, the information that's coming out of the federal procurement data system, as well as their own agency contract and financial systems. Uh, here's how one of our leaders put it. Our contracting professionals will have to lead the way in innovating and strategic procurement planning based on data analytics and comprehensive market intelligence. That really underscores the point rather well. Greg, what do contract management leaders
1: suggest their staff members do to carry out all this reskilling?
2: Well, a number of things, John. Uh, for one, the interviewees agreed that the move toward data analysis, along with rapid change in the environment and in contracting, and, and the advent of incoming uh, generation of just-in-time learners mean that one-size-fits-all training for the contracting profession must end. Instead, they are examining opportunities to deliver training on the spot when the contracting staff member needs it. There's a lot of solve that needs to be done when you're right in front of a sticky problem and, and you, you, you can't rely on something you learned 20 years ago. Uh, there's also other men- methods that are coming forward, like microlearning, uh, certainly on-the-job training, uh, you know, that cookbook method, how do I get something to me in the moment? There's also new platforms for peer-to-peer learning. You're someone down the road in another agency may have already solved it. Uh, and uh, that old model of going back to mentoring st- is getting refreshed and updated on new platforms. Uh, the other is, is those classroom FAR-based training. I think that's really moving away. I think the Uh, The the goal is to get away from that and focus more on the business acumen. The other things that you will need to uh, fulfill those soft skills, uh, there's things like the the DITAP, the Digital IT Acquisition Professional Training for Contract Managers. Those are really establishing mentor program requirements and many of the other skill sets that are beyond the technical. Uh, The Air Force is even assigning contract managers to work at venture capital firms. Put them in the other side of the equation to fully understand uh, the whole business uh, and life cycle for innovation. Um, that is really all capped off with working with other universities, working outside of, of the internal government infrastructure to instill sharp business minded thinking.
1: I'd like to thank today's guest. Craig Conrad, Chief Executive Officer at the National Contract Management Association. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search NCMA.
0: Thank you for listening to the discussion, Preparing for the Future of Contracting, sponsored by NCMA on Federal News Network.